Hi, I'm Mark Chavez. I'm one of the hosts of Let's Make a, a comedy docuseries podcast about the creative process. Each season, my co-hosts, Ryan Beal, Maddie Kelly, and I, take on an artistic challenge and you follow our journey. In Let's Make a Sci-Fi, we wrote a science fiction TV pilot. In Let's Make a Rom-Com, we wrote a romantic comedy film. And on our latest season, Let's Make a Horror, we produced a horror short film. And when we run into trouble, we interview Hollywood experts. People who have worked on big things like The Blair Witch Project, The Office, Star Wars, Mamma Mia, and more. All three seasons of Let's Make a are available now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Tom Power. Uh, Welcome to Q. So the first time Alana Glazer really broke out as a comedian, she was playing a fictional version of herself, bombing around New York City on rollerblades, holding a bong. That's right, you can say bong on the CBC. And giving her best friend a a really bad pep talk. Dirty, dirty. Ooh, dirty, dirty. Yeah. Dirty, huh? Do you feel different? You look younger, actually. I don't know. I guess I thought I'd be, like, married with kids by now. I guess it's good I have the job in anthropology. Yes, because you know what? If you had kids, they'd leave you after 18 years. But anthropology... (laughs) You might work there forever. That show Broad City introduced Alana Glazer to the world. She and her best friend and co-creator Abby Jacobson became really important figures in in sketch comedy all around the world. Now that Broad City is over, Alana is in a new chapter of her career. So she's doing stand-up alone on stage. She got a special for Amazon Prime. And in it, she's talking a little bit less character-y and a little bit more about her politics and about her life as a relatively new mom. And she has a show now called Ilana Glazer Live, a live show she's doing. And she's uh, about to do some shows for Just for Last, the comedy festival. So that became the reason we got in touch with Ilana Glazer to have a chat with her. But I got to tell you, this is someone so generous with her story. This is someone who went from being a funny kid on Long Island, finding out her grandfather was an amateur sketch comic with the best name, by the way, to having this hit TV show in her 20s and all this early success she didn't know what to do with. And now at 36, the the ripe old age of 36, she told me she's figuring out who she is at this stage of her life. Comedy is a big part of how Alana works this stuff out. Turns out it started pretty young for her. All right, well, where do we start? I want to maybe start at the very, very beginning. So when you were growing up on, on Long Island, funny, quiet. I mean, I find that the road to being a comedian is either funny, child, or quiet, shy child who, like, blooms on stage one day? Like, which, mm-hmm. which, which where, where were you? I was a funny child. My brother, Elliot Glazer, is also a comedian, and he put me on real young. He just put me on writing and directing me in sketch comedy videos. So you were, like, kids doing original sketch. Like, you weren't, like, doing Van Down by the River. or Like, you weren't, like, you know, doing your favorite <laughs> sketches or something like that, you know? No. Yeah. It was like our own little SNL or something. And honestly, we took it pretty seriously. And you know, what's so strange is my um, maternal grandfather, uh, David Wexler. He was, he made sketches too, just like alone himself made sketches. He had this one funny one, uh, Pavarotti, the opera singer, he was Pavarotten and he would have throw a rag over his head. And it was such a scary video. I remember watching it. Like he looked like, uh, like, Corpse-like. It was so crazy. Pavarotten. And so Grandpa Dave had KRAP-TV. That was his network. And we inherited it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then when we were like a little bit older, so Elliot started um, putting me on and we started making videos when we were about four and eight. My dad filmed a lot of when we were kids before that, but we started taking it over when Elle was about eight. And then I think a few years in, I started, I started getting in there too and making my own videos and we changed to GBS, Glazer Broadcasting System. You rebranded? <laughs> we rebranded, yeah. You, re- you were like, it's time to move on. It was a, it was a merger. It was yeah, a we merger. were ahead of the curve. Uh, we, we saw the industry eventually um, becoming a monopoly uh, destroyed by tech bros. And we were just sort of, you know, just ahead of the curve there. And we became GBS, Glazer Broadcasting System. This is all very sweet. This is all very lovely. <laughs> Very, very um, blessed, healthy, relatively healthy upbringing. Yes. So then, so my, my, I was reading about you before I came in, and co- college is sort of the, the gateway to it being a real thing for you, though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, again, my brother was my leader here. My brother went to NYU, and you know, we we grew up on Long Island. The culture there is pretty. We d- there's like Jewish Long Island, and there's white, white Long Island and there's Italian Long Island. And that's where we grew up, Italian Long Island. And we were like these like sort of quieter, relatively queer Jews who were like into, um, you know, going to, they used to have these like half night, half price or kids free on Tuesdays, Broadway shows. We would go see Broadway shows. We were into, into that and always looking to New York city and so looking forward to moving there And my brother went to NYU and this sort of alt comedy scene was popping off at the time. Like there was an alternative to SNL and an alternative to stand up blooming. And so he was in college and he was kind of scoping out the scene and telling me about it. And I was like, that was all all I wanted to do was go to New York. And I kind of knew I kind of knew when I was like seven or eight that I wanted to be a comedian. But I didn't really like say it out loud until high school. I remember my dad really until I, I applied to NYU too early decision. And like, you know, I needed, I needed financial aid. I didn't get, (laughs) I got into this like general school where you sort of catch up to the other kids with your schooling. Like I, uh, you know, and I did early decision. I like put all my eggs in that basket just to get there to have that be almost my day job. And I knew comedy would be my night job and I would be chasing, chasing it. So once I, once I got into school and my brother was out of school and working, we started taking classes together and really I was getting up every night doing sketch and stand up and improv. Is this at UCB? Is this, is this that the upright citizens brigade? Yeah. UCB was the, um, I mean, it was a lot of it. I I was going to say it was the improv part. That was definitely mostly the improv part. And, um, there used to be, you know, just kind of the way everything is shrinking or condensing or monop- monopolizing. There there used to be a lot more weirder venues yeah. around the city. Yeah. And, you know, just to name a few, Rafifi, The Tank, I don't know. Oh, God. Ochi's Lounge and Comics was this this uh, big club. Who, who were the uh, who, were, who was performing? Like, would I know any of the people performing in, in this scene at the time? Yeah, there was like. Reggie Watts oh, cool. on the scene and Jenny Slate and Gabe Liebman, um, Kristen Schaal. That's exciting. Hannibal. Yeah, it, it was. And, and Eric Andre and, and Hannibal Burris and this whole group of Kevin Barnett and Josh Rabinowitz and the Lucas Brothers and Jermaine Fowler. And uh, it was it was an exciting time that I I feel so 
so lucky to have been a part of. It, it feels like such a different world and texture of of being. And, and this is like before, um, you know, phones have developed so quickly in our lives. And there's this, this period of us, like, I think, I mean, I don't know if we're the same age. I'm 36. I'm 36. Ah, ah come on. 87, baby. Come on. Yes. 87 May. What about you? Yeah. Um, April. Oh, come on. I'm so close. <laughs> yes. Come on. Get I'm out of Aries. here. Aries. Where are you? Taurus. Yes. Okay. We're okay. spring. All right. We're good. We're, everything's happening. Love it. All right. Okay. So there was this like period, I feel like where there was this conversation of like, you know, we had internet, we had a life before internet. Yep. Right. Yep. And then there was like little like email or whatever. And then we're in middle school and there's instant messenger Yeah. Right. and you know, this slow development. But then to think about my comedy career, the phones, the sort of um, extension of our consciousness that the phones have become so clearly now was um, still developing sort of step-by-step step incrementally yeah. when I was um, starting to get up and uh, get up every night and you could fail in a different way. And, and it was problematic back then. Like I definitely think that uh, culture and our raise, our consciousness raised around identity politics and our understanding of whatever supremacy culture that we live in yeah. has created an improvement, but um, there was still something awesome about, being able to be fucked up somewhat privately. Yeah. And, you know, there was this at UCB, there was this dirtiest sketch fest. And like, we saw crazy shit on stage, you know, people doing stuff with their bodies that, you know, I don't, I don't know. Is it a, is it a loss or a gain that we don't have that anymore? I, I don't really know, but it was, it's crazy to think back I don't, and to have been part of that time. Yeah. I don't know whether it was a loss or a gain either, but I know there was a time that if I wanted to see something I had, I mean, I, geez, I never thought I'd sound this old this early, but if I wanted to go see something, I had to go see it and everybody in the room experienced it. And I could, all I could do yeah. was tell people about it. And then, you know, I, I came up in music and I just remember doing like playing shows, playing shows and not thinking about filming them not thinking yep. about how it was going to live live online and you could you could right. you there was a certain sense of a scene maybe it's less freedom but you it, right. it, it made the world you were in a little smaller yeah and an era and a collective and i hear you about sounding old but it's like we we have to claim it too because like the younger people they don't even know they don't even know unless i guess unless we really create something for them, a scene for them. And yeah, there, there's like this sense of like a global community now, but I think it's like can often be so big that it's paralyzing too. And this scene, you're right. The scene, it was graspable. It yeah. was, um, you could hold it in your palm. Yeah. Wait, so was Abby there? Is that when you meet Abby? Yes. Abby was there and uh, Abby's three years older than me. So she had finished college and then came to New York to become a serious actor and then found herself not fitting in and then joined UCB and, and the improv scene. I should say Abby, who I'm talking about there, because I didn't make it clear, is Abby Jacobson, who you'd end up going on to make Broad City with. And we met, we could not, for the life of us each, get on an established, quote unquote, house team at UCB. So we met on a, quote unquote, indie team outside of UCB. <laughs> um do you know what I'm saying? You're like scrunching your, do you know what I mean? Thank you. Thank you for reading that. It's, it's like a, no, I don't. It's like a lesser okay. team. Uh, for sure. Um, it's like, you know, there were these like house teams. So Harold Knight and Maud Knight. So Maud Knight was sketch night on Mondays. Harold Knight was Tuesdays when the 
house teams that had been auditioned and picked by teachers at UCB would perform improv and you'd go and watch. If you were a student, you would go and watch and learn, I suppose. And if you um, couldn't make the cut to a house team, but still wanted to practice your craft, you would be on an, it would join an indie team, form an indie team, in fact, and hire one of these teachers outside of the school and pay them to give you notes or whatever. Like Adam Pally was our teacher once and Bobby Moynihan was one of our teachers. And my brother and I were on this team. And then that was where I met, um, met Abby on an indie team. I love, listen, I'm not a vindictive person. I don't think Ilana is a vindictive person. But you got to imagine it feels pretty good to be rejected by like a local sketch comedy team and then creating like one of the most important sketch comedy shows in the world. If I was Alana, I'd be like flexing muscles while I told that story. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. More of my conversation with Alana Glazer coming up. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to Season 2 of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to my conversation with Alana Glazer. Uh, We're at a point in her story where she just met her fellow comic, Abby Jacobson. Two of them have really hit it off. They start making a web series. And in that web series, they play sort of exaggerated versions of themselves. The characters are constantly broke, crass. They turn basic events like getting locked out of your apartment or waiting for a package into a big adventure. Amy Poehler from Saturday Night Live and Parks and Recreation loved the series. She became the executive producer when Comedy Central picked it up in 2014. Suddenly, Broad City became this big hit, kind of the last big weird hit on network TV. And it's often called one of the best shows of the decade. It meant a lot, and it still means a lot to young millennial women who wanted a buddy comedy that felt real to them. So in the next part of our conversation, Alana Glazer is going to talk about how surprisingly heavy that time in her life was. It was actually kind of surprising how emotional we got. And it was all triggered by this Broad City clip I played her from an episode where Alana and Abby's characters go to the bank. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if there was a special teller I should go to for checks that are this large. Ooh, 8K. <laughs> uh. So do you want this in cash? No, I want it in my savings account. For someone who works at the bank, I thought you'd be more responsible with money. <laughs> Ludicrous. <laughs> I also have some business with the bank. I'd like to cash these nickels and I'll have them in quarters, please. Thank you so much. So uh, my, my guess is Alana Glazer. That's a clip from, oh, uh, from her goodness. show, Broad City, which you starred in with uh, Abby Jacobson. I, I, your reaction to that, you seem to be like, for people who are listening to this, you're kind of like sighing. Um, what, what's going on? I mean, like, it, it's like, it's it feels like they're my children, Abby and Alana. Um, I haven't really watched, I don't think Ab has either, watched much of the series since it aired. It's been, what is it, 2024? It's been um, five years. It's been 10 years since it aired, five years since it ended. And, 
you know, when I started Broad City, the web series, I was 22. Oh when God. I ended Broad City, the TV show, I was 32. It was a third of my life. It was my entire transition from adolescence into adulthood was Broad City. And it's it's hard for me to, oh, I'm like verklempt. You know, the sighing is so funny. Like it's it's such an anxious uh, symptom of mine, sighing and yeah. whatever I do, my, yeah. <laughs> my swallow and whatever. Yeah, my little, like, mine, is, uh, ticks. mine is uh, un- uncontrollably weeping. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I'm, t- I'm telling you that I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's actually uh, denying my, um, I'm verklempt. I'm filled with emotion to hear it. They, they sound, I'm sighing. So I don't, so I don't cry. I, I, they sound like my children. They're cracking me up. They, they don't even know you know, and and the blending of us as artists and us as business sisters and these characters, it's it's so heavy and um, I'm still processing it. And, and I processed it harshly. One thing that I'm, I, I've been really interested in over the course of doing this show is what happens when, and I hope you take this in the way I ask it, what happens when buddies who make something together through the success of that thing, have to become business partners yeah. with a property and a cast that is paying for their children's, you know, schooling and, yeah. a t- you know, a, a brand and a TV show. What what happens? Yeah. Did that, what happened with you guys? I mean, and, and I, I have a, a child now and I'm, I'm married and in this other phase at the time, like that was my baby. It was, we were also women in our twenties, but what happens is that things get hard. Yeah. Things go from light to heavy, light to dark, ease to pain. I mean, it was really painful. Like not only, you know, what, what was, well, like even, even the birth, even the creation of these hilarious, like, you know, I did start to try to watch it. I wanted to watch the series from the beginning to the end. And I made it through, like, I swear to God, one act. They, we really like used to do the three acts. And my, my husband and I watched, I think, episode 102. And we are cracking up, laughing so hard. And, and I'm like, I, who is this person? That is me. I can't even believe it. But like even the extraction of that comedy was painful on a schedule, on a like a forced birth kind of thing, you know, like even even that was painful. But but also like I feel like what you're more asking is from buddies to business partners, like the there's a weight and a seriousness there. And you sort of enter the capitalist system going from artists discovering to uh, workers producing for value and waiting for external val- validation through quantification. Yeah. But what about the, the, the importance part of that? I mean, I need to emphasize here how special this series was and how special this series was when it was talked about. You know, one of the things we talked about when we were getting ready for this conversation was like how it was a really early, if not like the earliest depiction of like young women as messy or, or crude or barely functioning adults. And, and it gets a claim in that, in that moment. It's easy to go like, oh, a claim's good. Uh, 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 happiness is good. People tell me I'm great is good. I think that'll have an effect on you too. Oh, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm like <sighs> filled, filled with emotion. Something I, I, I want to say here too, is that I'm really cheering up here. Um, you know, Abby and I, I, I think something that remains magical about it, uh, at least in our, in our experience, in my eyes, is that our business partnership 
was artful and was as spontaneously creative as our creative pursuits. Uh, you know, I don't know your um, personal situation, but I'm I'm married and I've been with my husband for 12 years this this June, 12 years. And it's like you get together and you you really like each other and you keep taking one step forward and then you find yourself in a new context. And, you know, I feel there's both a part you can control and a part you can control effort you can put in, but also part of it, you find yourself being like, wow, we're still good together. This is such a relief. And and that was um, the case with Abby. You know, we, we, we found ourselves still being good together season after season. We made, 50 episodes of the show together. And we also agreed to end it. We were contracted for seven seasons. Comedy Central really wanted us to complete that contract, but it was just creatively, it was, um, we were going in different directions. Our partners, uh, Paul W. Downs and Lucia Agnello, who went on to make the award-winning series Hacks, were going in their own direction. And we just felt like, man, we're we're reaching the end of being able to tell this messy 20 something story. And we even agreed in that and executed that ending in a way that I feel really proud of. When it's over and you start doing stand up, you start, you start standing on stage by yourself and I would know you and people would know you from the show where you played, I think we can say like an exaggerated version yeah. of yourself, right? On Broad City. You know what? This is this angel's final breakfast in New York City before she goes and rebuilds homes for Christian tsunami victims. Okay, that's not true. And you are going to deny her this? You are going to deny her this make-a-wish? Shame! Shame! Yeah. Um, but not your full self. So when the time comes to go on stage, and your stand-up for people who haven't seen it, now listen, anytime you're performing, it's going to be a version of of yourself seems closer to the to the real self rather than the exaggeration on Broad City. Yeah. How was how was that for you to stand up on stage in front of an audience that knew you in one way and say, hey, this is maybe who I closer to who I really am? It was challenging. <laughs> it was it was really challenging. I I have struggled with harshness toward myself. Um oh. and you know, moving the lens from outside of myself to inside of myself and to, you know, be seeing out of my own eyeballs rather than seeing myself is kind of the path I've been on. I, I felt also like, man, it's it's hard to um, encompass, really hard. I, I have like worked through a lot of panic and anxiety yeah. and depression and grief of Broad City, grief of that sense of self. You know, in season four is when I picked stand up back up. And my first special, you know, I, I, it's not, it's not the way my stand up is now and it's not how it feels now. And the way it felt at that time was like a little manic that I was like racing, racing away from Broad City. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now- You know, yeah. and, and now with enough time having passed, like I, I've gone on tour. This is my fifth time going on tour, Alana Glazer Live, but it almost feels like the first time. And it feels I have I have never 
enjoyed stand up this much. I'm thir- we are 36, Tom, you and I. I know. I've been doing stand up for and live performance for um like in a real way uh in New York City for 17 years mm-hmm. and this is the first time that I'm taking the most pleasure I've ever taken in live performance. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the comedian Alana Glazer, who is one of the creators and stars of the show Broad City that she made with her best friend, Abby Jacobson. And when I say best friend, what I mean is the two of them were pretty inseparable while that show was on TV. But these days, Alana has been trying to figure out how to do it on her own. She's focusing a lot on her stand-up comedy show, Alana Glazer Live. She's actually got a big gig in Vancouver this Wednesday and more for the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in early May. Honestly, as you're about to hear, she's kind of terrified. And that's okay, because in the next part of our conversation, you're going to hear why Alana is pushing herself, terrifying herself with more stand-up comedy, and how it can actually help you ease your anxiety. What what is this magic of stand up? What is this? I can tell by looking at you. You know, I am. Hey, listen, thir- thirty six as well, panic attacks as well, anxiety as well. I think there's a wing of my therapist's office that they erected in my honor. <laughs> it's, it's the, like he's helped us out so much. Yeah. We're just we're gonna we're we're gonna put up a new wing here. I get you. They send you the graduation photos of their kids from <laughs> They're college. Like, Thank Look you what you so, did, Tom. Thank you so yes. much. You know, like yes. we were able to buy this bottle of champagne. Thanks to That's you, right. Tom. What's yeah. what's going on with stand-up? What is it well, what is it about stand-up in this moment or just in general? Being out there on your own seems terrifying. That is so uh fulfilling to you. So I mean, first of all, uh my my co-star for my upcoming movie Babes, Michelle Buteau, we were just whatever. You were just uh, rapping on the phone and we were talking about stand up and she just cracked me up. I'll never forget her saying this. She said, it's an affliction. Stand up's an affliction. And I was like, damn, that's exactly correct. It's an affliction. It's a compulsion. I've always wanted to stand up on that stage holding a microphone alone. I've always wanted it. And and it's strangely the literal version of the experience Every person on this planet has. Everyone has a proverbial stage. Everyone feels proverbial, proverbially alone on a stage separate from others. Everyone has that proverbial spotlight. But then stand-up's literally the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's literally the dream slash nightmare that we're all having. So I've always had that compulsion, that 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 drive to do that. But it's no coincidence my 36-year-old compadre, that you mentioned therapy because that's a an integral part of why I'm here right now enjoying each and every one of these shows that I'm doing. I do analysis. I do psychoanalysis three times a week. And I started it. The end of Broad City was so crazy, so crazy, so crazy that I didn't do therapy for the first time in 15 years for like 10 months, I had to manically run from it and then start to process. Um, yeah, that was a really, a really hard year. And, uh, then I started this analytic practice and, um, it's, you know, also something I wanted to say when you were talking about anxiety is I was on Cymbalta, this antidepressant for 13 years from like my entire 
from when I started comedy at 19 to 32 when I finished Broad City. And I couldn't have done, there would be no Broad City without Cymbalta. And I, it took me a long time to get off. I got on and off and on and off. And then once I was finally off, I needed this practice several times a week to, I need, I needed that support. I needed that help. I still do. And uh, standup was a big, a big part of it because I was getting right back up on stage. And one thing that early in my, early in my analytic practice that I was talking about in session was yeah. how vulnerable I feel on stage because stand up, uh, you know, I'm putting my real self out there. And my analyst said, well, it's impersonal. And I said, exactly. It's very personal. And he said, no, I said impersonal. And I was like, Bitch, you said impersonal. <laughs> And I heard personal. It's impersonal. It's not real. No. <laughs> you know, no. and, and my experience with Broad City was so people are telling me who I am in, in proximity to this character and I'm believing their perception. And that's confirming my natural inclination as a comedian, somebody who's only really wanted to do comedy since I'm a little kid. That's confirming that I am that person, that I am the character. And to realize that it, it's impersonal just changed everything for me. It took the pressure off. I, I don't have to, you know, also women, um, Roxane Gay, the author and thought leader said this awesome thing once, I don't know, or said it, or I read it that she put out there that women cannibalize themselves. We cannibalize ourselves for our art. Whereas men get to more often get to um, stay at a safe distance mm-hmm. uh, as experts, mm-hmm. as storytellers as puppet masters as world creators but women we we offer ourselves women and and people from marginalized groups with marginalized voices and this idea of it being impersonal like started to separate things for me where now um last night i just did a show in uh pomona east la and the night before san diego and i i did um this was like my 33rd or 34th show on this tour and I was talking to myself before I have this like whole ritual now where I talk to myself out loud for like an hour or an hour and a half before my show and just take a walk around the neighborhood that I'm performing to. And the separation of this like thing I've definitely prepared and practiced. I don't have to pretend that it's spontaneous or off the cuff. I, I really want to do a good job for the people spending their time and money to come see me. You know, it's not, there's this thing in stand-up where it's like, cool, and you pretend that you're just coming up with it. Like, but at least at the point with this material in this hour, I, um, I really want to do a good job. And, and I, I, I take that time to separate my personal private experience, the feeling that it feels like to, in my body to perform for people, that's, that's not going to be shared and separating that is so helpful for me. And to that's part of taking that pleasure to know what it feels like in my body on that stage. That's just for me. And I'm kind of for the first time in my life able to claim it. I think, I think anytime that you are a, a performer with the same name as your own self, there is this um, always the stance. And I find it between uh, closeness and, and, and distance. And I got to tell yeah. you, I, I loved hearing you talk about this, uh, all this stuff today. And, and I'm, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. Thanks so much for making the time. Me too. This was such a privilege. Thank you so much. Oh, come and, on. uh, come on. I love your headphones too. Thank you. They're 
a toddler's. <laughs> I thought they were like a cool, hip. Oh, they're like that's a cool fox. Um, <laughs> thanks, Alana. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. I should point out. Yeah, I thought these were. I thought these were like super hip hipster headphones because they were kind of red and yellow, and I, I couldn't quite figure out what they were. I was like, oh. Weird headphones must be in. And then she turned and they're just like a child's headphones with a little fox. The ears are a little fox. My conversation with the comedian Alana Glazer, one of the creators and stars of the hit comedy series Broad City. She's on tour in Canada and the U.S. right now, performing in Vancouver this Wednesday, February 7th, ahead of the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. Then she'll be in Montreal and Toronto in early May. If you're not in those cities or you can't get a flight, uh, Alana's also got a comedy special on Amazon Prime. It's called... Um, cheerily, the planet is burning. The other conversation we have uh, have up today is a um, we call it a rebroadcast, a re-upping of uh, my conversation with the Canadian Oscar-winning Canadian filmmaker um, Domi Shi. Really interesting. She made this movie called Turning Red. It was a big hit during um, pa- the pandemic. It came out uh, on Disney Plus only, being re-released in theaters. Typically, it goes theaters to home video now home video okay anyway it's a, it's a great conversation with Tom Machine about this about this film go check that out we'll see you soon later on For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.